All right, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Stewart Observatory and another beautiful evening in Tucson, Arizona. And we welcome those of you watching this lecture on the World Wide Web via iTunes U. Uh, first of all, a couple of announcements. For those students that are here for an assignment, I am the person who will validate your assignment, and I will do it down here at this table at the conclusion of the lecture, unless you are in Professor Holberg's class. He's here. If you're in Professor Holberg's class, you must go talk to him to take care of your validation. Second of all, it is a clear night, so our Raymond E. White Jr. telescope will be open for your enjoyment and public viewing. It's the White Building, just outside. Go up two flights of stairs. Uh, excuse me, you may not sit on the floor. Come on down, there are plenty of seats here. I don't allow anybody to sit on the floor. Come on down. And everyone must be seated. So, um, I also wanted to let you know that uh, I haven't actually set up a well, I've set the dates for next spring's lecture, but I was kind of, how should I say it, a bit worried about whether to bother to get guests because this could be the very last steward <laughs> public evening lecture, depending on what we learn from tonight's speaker, okay? So, excuse me, you will have to sit in a seat. No sitting on stairs, come on. There are plenty of seats down here, come on down. Come on down. Those of you standing in the back, get down here. There are plenty of seats. You see what I go through when I, ha when I teach here at the university. Those of you coming in, you must sit down in a seat. Come on down and find one. So, uh, however, I have scheduled our next lecture for January 14th. It turns out, even though Martin Luther King's birthday is on the 15th, uh, the holiday is actually on the 21st. So, so the 14th will be our next lecture. I just have to find a speaker yet, but you will find the schedule on the Stewart Observatory website as soon as I get those speakers in place. But one of the things we are looking forward to is in April. On April 23rd, we're celebrating the 90th anniversary of the dedication of Stewart Observatory. And so the night before, on April the 22nd, we're gonna have a special lecture uh, on the 90th birthday of Stewart Observatory. So, without further ado, I would like to introduce tonight's speaker. It is Major James McGehe. Major McGehe uh, has a bachelor's degree in management from the Georgia Institute of Technology. He also has a master's degree in management from Webster. And he has a master of science in astronomy from right here, the University of Arizona. Major McGehe is a veteran, not only of the United States Army, but uh, of the United States Air Force, where he worked in Air Force Special Operations. Uh, he is a pilot. Uh, he is a, an astronomer. He runs his own observatories here in Tucson, the uh, uh, Grasslands Observatory and the Sabino Observatory. Excuse me, I'm sorry, seats. I can't let you sit on the ground. You come down, you sit in a seat. Come on down. Uh, and the Grasslands Observatory, and he is probably best known as a skeptic. He is a consultant <laughs> for the... Uh, sir, Sorry, I hit the button. <laughs> he, is a best, he is a consultant for the Committee on Scientific Inquiry 
Um, he is a UFO investigator. He has spent a lot of time looking into the different cases of paranormal activity and UFOs. And uh, most recently, he was on a national, he's on television a lot. He was on a National Geographic Channel program, The Secret History of UFOs, which uh, broadcast last summer. And he was interviewed as an expert. But uh, he's our guy that we go to when we want to talk about pseudoscience. And so, <laughs> without further ado, Major McGahey is going to give us a talk on the topic, 2012 Doomsday, World Apocalypse. I guess before I start, I should ask how many people actually think something unusual is going to happen on 21 December this year. Anyone? <laughs> well, that's nice to see. Ah, wrong apocalypse. Although there are actually some people suggesting that on the 21st of December, this apocalypse will take place. But this is not what I'm talking about tonight. Nor am I talking about Armageddon, because Armageddon is technically the battle between good and evil. And Bruce Willis wasn't exactly attacking uh, an asteroid uh, and comet when he went out to uh, kill it. Well, it's 18 days <laughs> and counting till the 21st of December, 2012. And what is this all about? Well, many people think that there's going to be an apocalypse taking place on that day. And there's not just one recommendation or one claim to this idea. There are many. Most of you have heard of the Mayan calendar, but also the galactic alignment, planet X. And these are a little bit lesser known, asteroid impact, uh, geomagnetic reversal, and a gigantic flare from the sun. But what I'm talking about tonight is really an apocalypse. All of these terms Armageddon and Doomsday are often used with these, uh, this idea because Armageddon is really a biblical type of idea about uh, the end of the world and the battle between good and evil. Many people believe in lots of things in pseudoscience. And of course, it's promoted by charlatans and promoters who are in it really for the money. But then we have a whole list of different kinds of believers at what level they believe various things. Uh, and then, of course, hopefully we have more rational people and thinkers in this room tonight. So what do they mean by the end of the world? When they talk about the end of the world, it can be any one of these things, the total destruction of the Earth, the Earth blows up, massive destruction, catastrophic destruction, or just some destruction. And then it can mean anything from total extinction of human beings to just some die. Well, should talk about the winter solstice, because that's this December 21st idea. The winter solstice, is not a day, it's an exact moment in time. That time takes place when the sun is its greatest distance south of the Earth's equator projected into space, and that exact moment is when 
the winter solstice takes place in the northern hemisphere. Of course, it's the summer solstice in the southern hemisphere, and it really has no astronomical significance today. But for this year, just so you know, the exact time is 11:12 universal time. That's 4:12 a.m. in the morning Tucson time. In case you want to get up, I, I, I won't. I'll have I'll have a party that every year. I have a winter solstice party, so I'll be up that night anyway. And we're going to celebrate the end of the world. Uh, but this is the exact position of the sun. These are the coordinates in the sky. This is the distance the sun will be from the Earth at that exact moment in astronomical units. This is how long the sun will actually be above the horizon that day. And of course, one of the things, the alignment with the center of the galaxy, this is the center of the galaxy. Those are the coordinates of the center of the galaxy. And you notice they do not match those coordinates. We'll talk about that. Well, what we're talking about here is this mystery and magic of the sky. The sky has always been this magical thing to human beings. The universe, a long time ago, was very magical and anthropocentric, supernatural spirits in the sky. It evolved later on into a mythic, anthropomorphic idea of gods in the sky. The creation myths. And the sky, of course, is filled with all kinds of mysterious objects. If you don't study astronomy, they seem mysterious. You have these bright things going on in the sky. And it's mysterious and powerful and distant. It's also uncontrollable. And it's so far away and so distant, it's very fearful. And of course, at night we have the fear of the night has always been a human fear. And of course, people are always looking for meaning. So in end times have been predicted for thousands of years by religions, cults, New Age groups, UFO religions, and even science. The results we'll talk about later. This fascination with end times is really interesting because many people almost wish for end times. And I think it's part of the human condition, this idea of some kind of certainty about the end of the world and the end of life. This a more appealing idea than the uncertainty of not knowing, the fear of everything. This idea of somehow remote, uh, 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 so magical to die together somehow. <laughs> and of course, today it's all promoted on the internet. So let's talk about a little bit of this history of predictions. You may never have heard of John Newberg. He was a dentist, and in 1881, he wrote a book about Astar, who was this magical spirit from the heavens, we would call him an alien today, who flew around those ships, came here and talked to him in his head and of dreams and visions and telling him and predicting that the earth was going to end in the famous earthquakes, tidal waves, volcanoes, and pole shifts. He was the first one to really say this. And this book, profoundly influenced not only the UFO movement 
of the 1950s, but the New Age movement of the 1960s. People still refer to this today. Then we have Dorothy Martin. In 1954, in Chicago, Dorothy Martin, who had been very prominent in Scientology with L. Ron Hubbard, had left the movement and started her own cult. Amazingly enough, it had a lot of university professors and medical doctors as followers. And she had predicted the world would end on December 21st, 1954. And how did she know this? Well, aliens were telling her this through what was called automatic writing in those days. Uh, so you just sort of start writing on a piece of paper what you were thinking in your head, and the aliens were telling you this. And it's a very interesting story because she went on to found the Seekers in the Association of Sandella in Sedona, Arizona, and literally started the New Age movement in Sedona uh, later on. But the interesting part of the story is that they sat together on the night of December 20th, waiting for the world to end. And the aliens, by the way, were supposed to come and save them. Uh, and when it didn't happen, none of them really lost their faith in Dorothy. They continued to believe. And she would later say that the aliens said, well, the world was saved because of goodness and light. Typical pseudoscience gobbledygook. Uh, but more interesting is, Fissinger, a social psychologist, had infiltrated the group. He wanted to study what would happen to people that believed in doomsday prophecies and what would happen when they didn't happen. And he wrote this very famous book, When Promises Fails. But more importantly, this, he developed this idea of cognitive dissonance based on studying this group. And it's a fascinating book if you want to see, understand how people think about reality and how they can re readjust the reality to match what is not really real. Then in 1932, again, we see the idea of tides, earthquakes, volcanoes, people dying. This was a novel, but this novel became part of New Age and UFO uh, ideas and adopted these ideas about what might happen when worlds collide. And then in 1951, it was made into a movie, which actually won the very first Academy Award for a science fiction movie for special effects. Later, we have Emmanuel Velikovsky and his famous Worlds in Collision. It's hard to understand this now, but this was a best-selling book worldwide. Uh, his basic premise was that all the biblical miracles could be explained by all kinds of weird planet alignments moving close to each other, Venus was ejected out of Jupiter, etc. 
He had no background in physics or astronomy whatsoever. But he did have a background in Kabbalah, and he was a Russian Jew, interestingly enough, who left Russia for Berlin, not a good place for a Jew to go when he went there. <laughs> and and then, then he went to Palestine and New York, which is interesting because uh, someone I want to talk about in a second did the same thing. Now in 1953, we have Bender comes along. He was the one who started the whole concept of men in black and ice caps, uh, uh, capsizing the Earth. He was a UFO contactee and one of the Space Brothers in the 1950s. The Space Brothers were a group of contactees that would contact the aliens, and the aliens would give them all these philosophical concepts about what was going to go on in the world and when it was going to end and all kinds of things. Then we come to Zachariah Stitchin, who you notice was also a Russian Jew, left Russia for Berlin, Palestine, and New York. Again, he was steeped in Kabbalah, but instead of trying to explain the biblical miracles, he wanted to explain how this was all done by aliens. And these aliens lived on a magical planet, Nibiru, that had a 3,600-year orbit around the uh, sun and would periodically come by. And these guys would run over their spaceships and attack the Earth and do all kinds of things and have nuclear wars and stuff. And this was all based on Sumerian texts. Uh, and when they'd come over, they caused all kinds of destruction. And these are some of the drawings from his uh, book. He wrote nine best-selling books. <laughs> best-selling books in the New Age community. So it, he, he was fairly influential. And this is how he determined that this planet X existed. Uh, as we shall see, this is uh, not the way we do astronomy by looking at ancient Sumerian seals. <coughs> Here's another person who was very influential. Uh, again, New Age guy who organized the Harmonic Convergence, if anybody remembers that, in Sedona, where about 100,000 people got, went there when the sun rose and sat there and said Kumha La, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and the age of Aquarius was dawn. The only problem is they got the age of Aquarius off by about 400 years. Uh, but he wrote a book called The Mayan Factor. That's where the whole Mayan calendar comes from, this, this idea about the end of the world. It was a combination of the Mayan calendar, I Ching, and this galactic alignments that were going to occur on 21 December 2012. And you notice he wrote this in 1987. Uh, and what's going to happen, according to him, is the Earth's electromagnetic battery is going to line up with the center of the galaxy. And something magical is going to happen. He never quite says what. Uh, he, he created a, a game, a calendar, and an organization called Dreamspell, which is about, in essence, sort of this gobbledygook, new age, time travel. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But he's the guy who started the whole island calendar. Now, in 1987, you may remember this comet, Bob, came, 
lie the Earth, or relatively close to the Earth. Very bright comet in the sky. And this is when it was fairly far out. This is a picture taken at the uh, University of Hawaii telescope in uh, Hawaii of the comet. The glow there is a the comet, all the dots are stars. Do you notice this is, a, this is a picture that got published by Art Bell. And you notice there's something right here. And Art Bell started saying, well, that's a UFO. Um, and then this, you remember Heaven's Gate? They said, oh, wow, uh, there's a comet in the, uh, there's a UFO in the tail of the comet, so that must mean that our prophecy is coming true. And who says that UFOs have do no harm? This was a picture, it was on television uh, that year uh, with me and the last survivor of Heaven's Gate uh, that went on the show with me, and Geraldo Rivera put this as the backdrop for the show, and I suggested to him that there's a UFO in the tail of the comet. By the way, I took this picture the night they committed suicide. Uh, and uh, I said, if there's a tail, I'd be happy to sell you a bridge I have. And the next day, he committed suicide. All I have to say here is just look at the picture. <laughs> Marshall Applewhite, again, was one of the UFO contactees in Space Brothers from the 1950s. Most people don't know this. He evolved away from that into sort of religion and religious cults. And then by the time of Heaven's Gate, he now, he sort of blended his religion in with UFOs, and, and then there's a UFO in the tail of the comet, we'll all commit suicide, and we'll magically be teleported to our souls to the UFO, and we'll all survive. Then, I, I hate even talking about Nancy, because it's so silly. But I have to say this about it. When she started up her website, and until her prediction of the end of the world, she had the number one website in the world. I will say that again. She had the number one website in the world. What she did is sort of take Zachariah Stitchin's ideas of Planet X, and now they were being telepathically communicated her, to her by aliens from Zeta Reticuli. This was all going into her head, and they had magically made her emissary to the worlds and all this kind of stuff. And she started talking about this and literally writing thousands of pages on this that are on her website. Thousands. And it became quite a stir, and you know, uh, she was talking about all this kind of stuff, about this planet was a, she never could quite get it straight whether it was a planet, a brown dwarf, a red dwarf. She had astronomy, was covering the whole thing up. The planet was four times the diameter of the Earth, and 23 times the mass, and it was gonna pass by the Earth 14 million miles away, and when this happened, 
the earth was going to stop for three days. Uh, the, earth, the poles were going to turn 90 degrees. The sea level would rise 675 feet. If that happened, you wouldn't have to worry about any of this other. Because everything would be underwater. Uh, earthquakes, volcanoes. You notice how all this all ties in in the past? And she said this is all going to happen on May 15, 2003. Now, I think you all know it didn't happen, but you know what Nancy says? It actually happened and we didn't notice. <laughs> so at the time I got involved in this, I started doing a few little calculations here about changing the magnetic field of the Earth and torquing it over. And this is the amount of torque it would take to uh, uh, change the magnetic field of the Earth by something passing by. And you notice here, if you do the, this is the magnetic fields of various objects. The strongest magnetic field that exists in the universe is on neutron stars, 100 million tesla. And this would mean that the, the object coming by the Earth would have to have 2 million times the magnetic field of a neutron star. Not likely. <laughs> uh, so I said, well, she's predicted this. Why not cash in on this? If the world's going to end, I'll offer to buy anything at 10%, any valuables from all these people who are going to obviously die. And believe it or not, I actually had some people take me up on this. Uh, uh, some of her followers did some radical things. And I mean very radical things. Uh, they would kill their pets. They would sell everything. They'd move. They did all kinds of things. Let's talk a little bit about science. Science has made some predictions in the end of the world, too. The famous, very famous one from 1924, in rays. These were rays that were going to be very destructive and kill everybody. And of course, it turns out that in rays don't even exist. Uh, then we have this idea that somehow the crust of the Earth is going to crack open and throw asteroids out of the Earth and destroy the Earth in 1928. By the way, these are all in Science Journal, these articles I'm showing here. Then a new ice age is coming in 1929. This one's very interesting because this is an, almost like some of the things today, and I don't know why any scientist would have thought this, somehow another uh, star is going to come by the Earth and we're going to get pulled apart by the sun and the other star coming close. And here we have the idea of a doomsday machine that actually some scientists predicted actually existed. How they would know that, I don't know, since they didn't work in the defense industry, but they did predict it. But here's my favorite. <laughs> Does anybody remember that the entire environmental scientific movie, movement predicted an ice age in 1975? It did. And many of those people are the same ones that are involved with global warming today. Here is the most recent uh, thing. In France, a New Age guy says there's a UFO either under this mountain or it's going to come in on 
21 December and evacuate everybody that's around the mountain when the world ends. And the French government is quite concerned about it because thousands of people are around this camping out and doing other things and they're afraid of what might happen there when nothing happens. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a very interesting thing and of course the locals are now selling pieces of the mountain and uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're doing well. Uh, it, you know, new age people will buy anything. Uh, so let's get back to the Mayans. The classical period for the Mayans was from 250 to about 900 in the common era. They were the most sophisticated culture in the, uh, in the Americas, but they were still a Stone Age culture. Uh, they had developed writing, picture writing, with a number of glyphs. They had developed arithmetic, not mathematics. <coughs> they were enamored with cycles and therefore with calendars. Their cosmology was basically based around the worship of Venus and the worship of astrology, numerology, mysticism, and sky gods. This is sort of a, an example of their basic cosmology. They had uh, gods of the underworld, gods of the over, overworld, and then the Mayans were basically in the center. And they had long cycle observational astronomy, and of course they made pyramids, <coughs> limestone structures. Now, they had, they didn't have, what they didn't have was a sophisticated technology. They had no science. They had never made tools. They only had stone tools. They had no accurate instruments, no mathematics, no wheel or pack animals, and they practiced slash and burn agriculture. They had massive human sacrifice, both of adults and children, and the whole culture collapsed around 900 of the common era. They abandoned the cities. The people migrated and built small communities, so the Mayan people actually survived it, but the culture didn't. No one quite knows what happened, but the most prominent idea is endemic warfare, overpopulation, environmental degradation. They just literally cut down the forest for burning and making uh, materials for putting together their stone temples. Now, their arithmetic was based on uh, a base of 20. Um, and, and of course, all, everything they did was related to cycles and, and calendars. So uh, they had this strange system of base 20, which sometimes reverted to base 5. They could add and subtract. It was unlikely they could multiply. They had no fractions. And all of this was related to numerology. The most important numbers were 13 and 20. That's why they had 13 gods, good gods of the upper world, and ritual astrology, fortune telling. And lots of people said they had a zero. This is a symbol here. It's really not a zero in a mathematical concept. It's rather a placeholder for emptiness. And you see how their number system worked. The dot was one. A bar was five, and then you just sort of add all this together, and then you would get different numbers by going to different levels and jumping up. So this is 
9 down here, and the next level is 20, and the next level would be 400 and so forth. And so you get 9 here plus the next level of 20, so you get 29. Their calendar was uh, fairly elaborate. Uh, they were fascinated by the idea that somehow cycles had hidden answers to the universe and somehow to understand the creation demons, which they were enamored with. The original calendar had 260 days. Their actual calendar had 360 days, which is interesting because they knew what the year was. But what they would do is they create an extra short month of five days to make this 365 days. But it was really a bad deal if you were about born on one of these five days on that calendar. Then they had a 52-year calendar, this, uh, which uh, they, the, the, the ritual calendar and the actual calendar would start to come back in the cycle with each other. Their creation myth the day they think the universe started, or at least Mayan culture started, was 11 August 3114 BCE. This is how they represented it. Although they, the numbers went this way, when they did calendars, they went this way. So this represents these uh, various cycles of the calendar, and this is the long count calendar, the 13th one, and this represents the first days, and of course this the, the long count calendar does actually end on December 21st of this year. And you see how they counted here. It was kind of interesting because to get to the 360, instead of being base 20, they went to base 18. And so it, you have to be a little careful. This is the famous Bakhtun, which is 394 years. Okay, in astronomy... What they did was basically a scientific dead end. They venerated the gods and the worship of Venus. Of course, they made long period observations of the sky, uh, uh, enabling them to try to understand the gods, what they were going to do in the future. They made ephemeris, ephemeris of very over long periods. They had actually determined the solar year, the lunar month, the synodic period of Venus, the synodic period of Mars. Their eclipse tables were based on 148 days and 177 days, well, uh, or six moons, and this did allow them to sort of predict eclipses over the long term with about a 35% accuracy. This is actually the eclipse table here. Uh, this is the uh, Venus table here. This is a, a lunar table here. And this one right here is a Mars table. They were able to do this by observation. They didn't calculate any of this. They simply counted days between events and sort of figured out how many days would it take for that cycle to repeat itself. This is how you actually do it. A little bit of spherical trig, but they didn't have spherical trig. Uh, the other thing, of course, is understanding the, the solstice uh, and the uh, equinoxes here and here, the solstice here and here, is because the Earth's axis is tilted 23 and a half degrees from the plane of rotation around the sun. So what are the predictions for this year? Well, they're basically these six. There are others, but I'm going to talk about these six. 
The Mayan calendar, people say, which ends on December 21st with the 13th Bakhtun, predicts the end of the world. Well, the Mayans never predicted the end of the world to anything. They believed in cycles, and when one cycle would end, they would simply start another one. When the calendar ends, they simply start another one. Sort of like what we do on December 31st. It, the world doesn't end on January 1st, although some people that morning may think it did. <laughs> um, but we start a new calendar. That's what they did. So they start a new calendar. Uh, but more important question is, how could a Stone Age culture a thousand years ago predict anything? Why do people want to believe that? The only thing they could have predicted with was astrology, mysticism, and some alien coming down and telling them. This is simply nonsense. Galactic alignment. This idea is that somehow the Earth and the Sun are going to line up with the center of the galaxy, which in fact does have a supermassive black hole at the center of about 3 million solar masses. And also the idea that somehow there's this magical new age idea in astrology that, because astrology, you have to remember, whenever you ask them what causes astrology, they always say, we don't know, but something does. Uh, somehow this magical new age astrology causes disruption. Well, the sun does not align with the center of the galaxy, ever. It gets close every year on December 21st, but it's about 5.7 degrees off, and I'll show you that in a second. Uh, the sun uh, is about 27,000 light years from the center of the galaxy. The black hole has about 4 million solar masses. The sun is 8.3 minute, light minutes away from the sun, but the black hole is 2.27 times 10 to the 27th minute, light minutes from the Earth. So if you do a, just a little calculation, you'll see here that the force from that black hole is 1.87 quintillionth the force of the sun. You couldn't even measure this force. It's so tiny. So the black hole at the center of the galaxy does not affect us in any way. Now, here's an example. This is the sun. This, I don't know if you can see it here. This is the ecliptic. That's the basic projection of the uh, equator of the Earth into space. The sun moves along this. There's where the sun is at exactly 4.11 a.m. on the 21st. And here's the center of the galaxy. And you notice they're not in the same place. Uh, now, everybody here can see the center of the galaxy, I hope. Uh, this is a picture I took. This is about 15,000 stars. I want to show you why you can't see the center of the galaxy. Uh, by the way, the center of the galaxy is right there. Um, so, and, and this is about two degrees, uh, three degrees by two degrees, this field of view here, about 15,000 stars. Now, if you go a few degrees away, this is what you see in the Milky Way. It's 15 million stars. 
This is called body's window because it's a clear space, literally in the gas and the dust of the Milky Way. What you're looking through here is a huge amount of gas and dust, so you can't see all the way to the center of the galaxy in visible light. And here you can see a lot more stars. This sort of shows this idea. If we look at the center of the galaxy, here is an infrared, here is an X-ray, you can actually see the black hole. The black hole is actually right there. You notice it's not black. <laughs> the reason is you're not seeing the black hole, you're seeing all the material that's spiraling around the black hole and being shredded and emitting tremendous amounts of energy. Galactic alignment is just total stupidity. Let's talk about Planet X, Libra. This planet will either collide with the Earth or pass close to the Earth, causing mass destruction. Well, this is real simple. There is no planet. And if there was a planet, it'd probably be as bright as the full moon right now, so you can go out and see it. Never has been a planet, and never will likely be a planet falling around. And now we have delusion. Asteroid impact. An asteroid will collide with the Earth, causing massive destruction. Well, small rocks collide with the Earth every day, but there's no current asteroid on a collision course with the Earth. Um, I do a lot of work on asteroids, and uh, so I know a lot about the asteroids that hit the Earth. I actually imaged the one that hit the Earth about a year and a half ago, but it was kind of small asteroid, didn't do too much damage. And, of course, this is total absurdity. Now, let's talk about geomagnetic reversal. The poles, somehow, they're going to have this gigantic release of energy uh, related maybe to planet X or also somehow the sun making a large solar flare is going to cause the poles, uh, somehow the magnetic poles, to shift, resulting in huge energy release and of course, destruction. Well, it is a fact that the magnetic poles of the Earth actually do periodically flip on a time scale of somewhere around 400,000 years. But as far as we know, this has no uh, appreciable effect on the Earth. It might affect some instruments uh, and various other things, but it, it probably is not going to have any uh, catastrophic effect. Again, total silliness. <coughs> then we have coronal mass ejection. The way, best way to think about this is a very, very large solar flare. It, uh, the claim is we'd have one that emits 100 billion, uh, 100 billion atomic bombs towards the Earth. One of the things about coronal mass ejections is the fact that they really don't affect anything unless the sun's face where they actually eject from happens to be pointed towards the Earth. Now, these do happen every day, but they're usually fairly small. Uh, the larger ones do disrupt satellites. If you had a very large one, it could do something fairly significant, like take down the entire electrical grid on the Earth. It wouldn't be pleasant, but it wouldn't kill anybody either. So, again, totally preposterous. Well, what do we have? We have magical calendars, meaningless alignments, delusional planets, non-existent impacts, uh, silly pole swapping. Now, this is really the way the magnetic field of the Earth works. 
it's a little more complicated than I think most people think. These magnetic field lines are doing all kinds of things. And in fact, the magnetic pole of the Earth is moving, and it's accelerating. Um, we don't know if that means in the future, sometime, near future, that the pole might swap, but it is definitely changing position fairly rapidly. And then this is actually a coronal mass ejection. This is what one looks like. This one, of course, would not affect the Earth because it's pointed that way. You want one coming straight out of the sun towards the Earth, it'll affect, affect the Earth. And then there's the old standby. There are some people actually suggesting that there'll be a nuclear war on the 21st of December. Uh, I don't think that's likely, uh, but uh, I'll let you be the judge. As Russell said, if science can't figure it out, humans can't know it. It really comes down to that. And he said that a long time ago. What we have is a lot of pseudoscientific claims that are in, in different levels of nonsense, dangerous nonsense, dangerous ignorance, stupidity, absurdity, delusion, and none of this is vested in reality in any shape or form. This paranoia about global disasters that never come to pass is all about magic and superstition, seeing it in numbers, dates, beginnings, rituals, connectivity, significant, and meaning. And somehow this is all connected to magic in the sky. We are fascinated with this idea of end times, the claims that the world will end, the belief that humans have somehow that this is actually going to happen. The reality is, what will happen? What's going to happen on December 21st? Well, nothing ever has happened, and it likely will not happen on December 21st. Life on Earth can be destroyed, actually, quite easily. There are many possibilities. But they're all low probability, low predictability, or no predictability at all. Now, the real salvation may come in this holiday season from a jolly old elf riding on a UFO powered by eight tiny reindeer <laughs> flying in the tail of a comet. Or maybe not. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, James. We have plenty of time for questions from the audience. If you'd like to ask a question, just raise your hand and I'll give you the microphone. Um, I know that the Mayans use their own form of calendar and we use the Gregorian calendar right now. And how has that affected these predictions or how have people explained away our introduction of using our own form of calendar different than what the Mayans did? You lost the mic. Yeah, hang on. Yeah, what happened to it? There you go. <laughs> I was wondering why. There we go. We lost the mic. <laughs> okay, there you go. I, I'm not quite sure. What, are you referring to the 
The differences between the calendar, I'm not sure what your question is. Uh, is. Is our date that we have for December 21st, 2012 the same that they had? Yeah, in, the, in their calendar system. Now, it, it took years for people to figure out their calendar and relate it to the Gregorian calendar. It's very complicated. Okay. And it, it, it wasn't something that was done overnight. But it, actually, it was done you know, quite a number of years ago. But it took many tens of years for them to actually figure out their calendar and then relate it to our calendar. Yes. Has um, Lovecraft, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's predictions about uh, end of the world and alignment of stars influenced any of these crackpot uh, organizations and, and followings? No, generally most of these people are influenced more by their colleagues and pseudoscience and that kind of thing. They, uh, and it's, and some of it will go away, but it always comes back. What happens is some, and this is my opinion, this is an opinion now, um, what happens is somebody will read some pseudoscientific or mystical thing that was written in the 1920s and say, oh, I'm going to come up with a new idea on that, and this gets recycled all the time. Yes, right here. Do you also have a lecture to debunk religion and God? What? I'm not, what did you say? Do you also have a lecture to debunk religion and the concept of God? I do that, but I don't do it when I'm doing science. <laughs> Those, I keep them separate. There's a reason. I, I, I do, I, as, as Tom knows, I have debated theologians. Other questions? Oh, yes. Actually, what I have is really more of a comment, and that is this, that um, unfortunately, um, not just on the Internet, but even what used to be at one time in the um, not-so-distant past, such as the History Channel, and uh, I just now stay away completely. They come on with a lot of programming based on UFOs and that uh, even the Sumerians and all these other ancient civilizations were uh, at one time established as if they were humans and that they did um, some kind of genetic manipulation. Space aliens did this and somehow got um, uh, the human civilization uh, jump-started. Um, and, um, and, and, and so even programs like that have gotten completely off the track of what is true history. So basically, in a nutshell, a lot of what is out there is not just pseudoscience, but pseudo-history. Yes, it really is. And unfortunately, you know, when the History Channel, Discovery, A&E channels were first started, they did legitimate stuff. But if you look at them now, at least 50% to maybe 70% of what they do is pure pseudoscience because people like to watch it and it makes money. It's, the stuff they say on there is absolutely obscene. Um, and it's promoting belief in the paranormal and all kinds of things. Um, UFO belief is stronger today in the United States than it ever has been. 
And it's amazing when you consider back in the 1950s, which was the heyday of UFOs, it's even stronger than that. And it's mainly, in my opinion, because of uh, cable television. And it just it promotes it. This isn't exactly a question, but an observation. Uh, our calendars are very arbitrary. I wonder how these people would interpret December 21st if they were straddling the international dateline. You mean wh where, where they would be on December 21st? Yeah, yeah, if they had one foot on each side of it, which one's going to get the end of the they, they, they don't think of things like that simple. If they did, they wouldn't believe all this. That, that's such, a, such a, an arbitrary situation to come up with a date like that. I think that our calendar, the international date line, is one that I think would, would uh, if they really challenged them on that, they would say, well, I don't know. Well, it's the same thing you think about. You have to be a little careful here. Think about the idea of people celebrating New Year's Eve. What time do you celebrate it at? And the East Coast time and Tucson time are not the same time, and so there's a lag there. So it's sort of the same thing. Are there any other questions? Yes. We'll pass this down. <clears throat> My younger days as an early partier, I would say, each time zone can be celebrated in its own right. Right here. <laughs> now, my other question is, though, what about Von Donegan and all his historical and biblical stuff about UFOs? What is your opinion of that? What, you just asking what about Von Donegan? Yeah. Von Donegan, um, uh, the, the man who wrote Chariots of the Gods and a couple of other best-selling books, I think still to this day, Chariots of the Gods, except for the Bible, is the number one selling book of all time. He wrote it while he was in prison. Most people don't know that. He was a uh, manager at a hotel in Switzerland and uh, had embezzled a lot of money. <laughs> any rate, he read another book that somebody had he basically plagiarized another book that he found in the prison library about ancient gods and uh, archaeological sites. And he just basically made it all up. And, but he, I guess you have to say he was successful if he has the number one selling book of all time. But his ideas are totally absurd. There's nothing to them whatsoever. I have to say that actually I decided to become an astronomer when I was 10 years old. And I saw on the Johnny Carson show, Carl Sagan for the first time. And the topic was, Johnny had Carl on to talk about this book, Chariot of the Gods. And listening to Carl Sagan, talk about how this Von Donegan guy was a total charlatan and what real science was is sort of what inspired me to get into astronomy. Yes? In your UFO um, investigations, however, is there anything though that has stumped you or there, is there any aspect of it that still needs to be explained? I mean, do you ever give it some credibility in certain situations? If you situations? mean other than sociological or psychological? Absolutely no. There's absolutely zero evidence that an alien spacecraft has ever visited the Earth. Zero. None. Nothing. <laughs> However, there are people who truly believe that they, you said, not counting psychological. There are people oh, yeah, that yes, in their there minds... Lots of people who believe it psychologically. There's, it, 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 they would he pass didn't, a lie uh, to Tom didn't mention, I also have a master's in psychology. 
Uh, psychology is really more important in the true believers in UFOs than anything else. Some of these people believe the most absurd ideas outside of UFOlogy. But it's just, it's just hard to understand how somebody can believe some of the things they believe, but they do. And they truly do believe them. But there's no, no, nothing in reality. I, perhaps the best quote is uh, from uh, uh, Project Blue Book's ending, the Condon Report, that Edwin Condon, who was the uh, head of the National Bureau of Standards, uh, very developed the whole concept of uh, modern uh, nuclear physics in the United States, had been tasked by the Air Force to write a report on UFOs back in 1967 and became known as the Condon Report, although the title is Scientific Report on the Investigation of UFOs, something like that. But everybody calls it the Condon Report. At the end of the report, Condon says, after investigating this for about three years, um, had a team of investigators. The Air Force did this because they wanted to get out of the business of Project Blue Book. And uh, at the end, he says, I can see absolutely no physical evidence for UFOs whatsoever. However, it might be interesting to study the phenomena from a psychological and sociological standpoint. We might learn something about human behavior. And I think we'll end it with that. I would like to remind, oh, yes. I would like to remind you that the tw our 21-inch telescope, the Raymond E. White Reflector, is open right now. If you've never looked through a big telescope at Jupiter, for example, you can do it. It's the white building with the dome on top. I wish whatever holiday you celebrate, I wish you a happy holiday season. Our next lecture is on January the 14th. Check out our website. I'll post to our speakers as soon as I find one. And uh, I will stand.